Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, it was the first Big Ten game, first road game out to Illinois. They come back with a 30-13 to 13 win. They cover the spread. <laughs> so what else could there be? It was a perfect game, right? Man, what what an interesting game that was. And, you know, the, the goods and the bads that, that come with it. Um, ultimately, you know, I think one thing that Illinois does that um, probably better than maybe most teams in the Big Ten is they test your grit factor. Like, are you ready? Are you ready to get down and dirty for for this win? And Penn State had to get down and dirty for the win. I, I don't know where they would be without five turnovers. But the good thing is they don't have to think about where they would be without five turnovers. The game doesn't work like that. Uh, they earn they earned those five. The defense was stifling and uh, needed to do something to kind of keep that offense and, and give them a chance to put something together. But the one thing I would say is that. I understand that Illinois looked very, very vulnerable on paper, statistically looked very vulnerable, but I think just had the right defense for this Penn State offense at this juncture of the season. And there's NFL talent on each of those levels. Like, I don't think this Illinois defense was a pushover by any means. So I think they deserve some credit uh, on that side of it for, you know, for being a pretty dominant group, especially up front. Let's start with that part of it, Dusty. Penn State with the ball, uh, Illinois' defense on the field. My first reaction to it is Illinois outcoached Penn State when Illinois' defense was on the field and Penn State's offense was on the field. Oh, I, I agree with that too. I, it was it was the first note that I wrote during the game yesterday was that Penn State's coaching staff was getting outcoached by by Brett Bielema and those guys. I mean, whatever they were doing, I think you might have to have T. Frank really get into the X's and O's and, and why it was a, a challenge, but they weren't given anything on the ground. Um, and I think it's just really difficult to get much of anything going when the interior of the offensive line is kind of collapsing on every play. Like Johnny Newton was an absolute monster in this game. He's an absolute monster in general. But he could not be handled, and I think this is a case study. I feel like in um, you know when you're getting owned uh, up front by at least one of the five spots, you're losing one on one battles on the offensive line at least one of those five spots every single down. How difficult it can be to really get much of anything big going. And Dusty, that that's all it takes. I have just begun to rewatch the game, watch the tape. And I got through much of the first half. I got it to thirteen nothing, and it's it's amazing when you pause on plays to rewatch what's happening. And one thing that stood out to me was exactly what you referenced: the offensive line needs to win five out of five battles, and if they lose one of them, and I got through the f- first sack from Illinois' defense. And it was pure and simple, only four men rushing, and Sal Warmly got beat badly by Johnny Newton. It's 
really easy to get beat badly by Johnny Newton. Like that that dude for two ninety five. I mean, that is an uh, an, an a modern NFL player. You know, moves like a defensive end, is built like a tackle. I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys who get owned by Johnny Newton, and and that's the thing. I mean, I think you can you can lose one one on one matchup, but that's one where you maybe have to have a chip block or you got to have a tight end. Like you have to you have to be prepared for that loss. And I don't know that Penn State was really ever prepared for that loss. I mean, I think everybody who followed these two teams in any way knew that Illinois was going to move Johnny Newton around the formation. He was going to go inside, he was going to go outside, and he was going to be a handful everywhere. And I don't know that Penn State really adjusted or changed what it was doing to account for that, you know, that that huge liability. That is a massive liability in your offense's ability to get anything going. And then, it, I mean, it's pass, run, whatever, but Illinois had that in their back pocket where they didn't have to send a bunch of guys um, to own that point of attack. And it showed up, you know, I, I don't know at what point, I, I guess it was later uh, in the game where they really started accumulating rushing yards, but there wasn't a meaningful run for a long time in this game. No, there really wasn't, Dusty. And that's something I think it felt like Penn State assumed it was there, okay? Because with these two running backs, it has been there. And all of a sudden, didn't this feel a little bit like the Penn State offense from a couple years ago when they couldn't get anything going with the running backs? And that just changed the whole style of offense. And it affects also how the quarterback looks. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... It's uh, James Franklin likes to say complimentary football, talking about all the phases. I mean, but the the run pass is, is complimentary. You know, if you've got a liability in one of those areas, and I would say I would definitely say that Illinois had a liability in the passing department. Um, it makes it hard to be successful in the other area because that changes how the defense is. You know how how they dedicate resources. So it, it did feel like that that helplessness, I, and I think. You know, ultimately coming out of this game, I think everybody has to do an assessment of like, you know, how much of that was Johnny Newton? How much of that was that Illinois D line? Because I think they've got a couple, they've got at least one or two other future NFL guys on that defensive line. They're long and athletic and they're, they're built to be a handful. So they're, but how much credit do they get versus how concerning is it for Penn State's offensive line that they were able to get owned like that? You know, Sal Wormley. I don't know. I mean, I, I would venture to say he's probably not an NFL draft pick in the future, you know, just kind of outclassed on, on those reps. Um, probably the same at any time that Johnny Newton went, went up against anybody. And I would also add that Olu Fashionu had, I don't know, at least like two snaps where he did not look like a first round pick in this game. And I don't know what to make of that either. It, it's fascinating. You mentioned Fashionu and his struggles in this game just last week, you know, the two guys that we have on this show who watch the tape and make assessments. One was T Frank. And this may have even been off the air. He, he and I talking about it where fashion new, he's going to make his money on Sundays for his pass protection, not necessarily, you know, being that grinder running the ball as a running, running blocker. And Coach Caduti did his video review of Penn State's running game. And he'll just reference guys by their number. And it was 
old-fashioned news number that he referenced multiple times as not doing the job during the running game. So this seemed to be confirmation of what, what our experts were saying. Let's, let's go to the next step in all this, which is Drew Aller, who we were all, you know, after two games, I don't think he could have played any better than he had. This definitely was not one he's going to preserve in the memory bank as one of his greater games. What was your assessment of Drew Aller's performance? You know, I, I think if if this is, you know, the Valley in Drew Aller's game, and it has to be said that if you're a rookie in the NFL, if you're a freshman, if you're a first-time starter in college, I mean, these games do happen. And I think Illinois' defense was uniquely positioned to bring that out of him. Uh, you saw some misses. I mean, you saw him, I think he, he you know, he missed another big touchdown with, with the read. Uh, looked like, looked like an obvious read. So that's, that's something that uh, the, the missed reads thing is, is an interesting thing, but um, he, he was never made to feel all that comfortable in the pocket. And he, you could tell he was uncomfortable at times. The, the rhythm wasn't really there. The, you know, the, the accuracy, which was pretty much pinpoint, you know, he, he threw 17 incompletions. I don't know what the breakdown is as far as errant throws, drops, etc. But he had a few throws that he would absolutely like back in this game. Uh, but then you you see these these flashes. And by the way, like not for as as hard as they kind of struggled, there weren't all that many three and outs. Uh, so they they were always able to get a little something going, just not much at the same time. So, uh, yeah, I think this is one that, that Drew Aller is going to learn a ton from. And, again, I, I think it doesn't matter, you know, how good your quarterback is to an extent. Like, if if there's pressure in his face and it, it's not at the expense of, of somebody running free in the secondary, it's a challenge for anybody. So that, that was one thing. He had to see that with his eyes. You know, he had to experience a game like this and get uncomfortable to really learn and move on from it. And, Dustin, it was also the kind of game where you can't just say it's on this face, this position. There was a little something from everybody. Yeah. The, there were the drop passes. And what's, what's terrible about those is they when they end up ending the drive. If you drop a pass on second down, but you get the third down completion for first down, so, so what? Right. It, okay. You don't like it but you move on. But when you don't convert then on third down, you end up with the three and out and an entire drive is stopped because someone just dropped the ball. Malik McLean multiple times. Then you have the near the end zone. And again, this is in rewatching that first half. You pick some of it up. Drew Aller, he missed Theo Johnson in the end zone. He was there. Now, we would have taken a really good pass, but that's what we've been seeing from him. Right. The earlier drive, oh, boy, that little pass to Catron Allen when they were on the two-yard line, yeah. that was beautiful. He it put it the beautiful. only place you could put it and, it, went, and it went right through his hands. So, you know, you could point at different people. Everyone contributed to the frustration, I guess, is the way to put it. Yeah, and the the lack of running game contributed to it. The the absence of Harrison Wallace, I think, contributed to it. Just one one less reliable um, 
body out there uh, might, might have made a little bit of a difference. Uh, Aller missed a couple throws. He made a couple gems, as you referenced. He re- I, I love that throw to Katron Allen because it was just automatic and it was exactly, you know, with within like a fraction of an inch where it needed to be there. So you see all those flashes, but um, he did need to experience a game where uh, he had to labor through it. And, uh, and, and in this one, not getting off to a fast start, you know, these are experiences that he has to have as a young quarterback. And uh, just a reminder, I think that talent poise, all that stuff is still there. But there is going to be some growth opportunities along the way and some mistakes and stuff. You just got to wrap your head around these. He's not perfect. He's not. You're right. And (laughs) the question will be, how will he respond to it? Will he learn? We got lots more to go. We'll pick it up in quarter number two. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He is Dustin Hawkinsmith. I'm Jim Galante. We are talking all things Penn State's win on the road against Illinois, 30-13 on Saturday. Dustin, Let's stay on the offensive side of the ball a little bit. I've got a question for you. Remember we've been hearing for weeks, not just during the season, before the season even started, that we've got a package. We've got this change-up we call Bo Bo Perbola, that we're going to get him in there in meaningful times. With this setup here, it just seemed like Illinois called up the exact perfect defense for this team, this quarterback, this style of play. Would this not have been an opportune time to throw that curveball or change up in there in, in Bo Perbola for, you know, a, a series in the first half? The, the gamesmanship of that entire storyline 
It, it gets me. You know, I think it, this game was still all about presenting that as, as a threat. Um, bringing him in, you know, it was kind of, it was on the early side, I felt like. Uh, but making it seem like, and I think as much as anything, it's good for him to get reps against some first team defenders. It's good for him to take a bunch of snaps where Johnny Newton is, is there. You have to account for that guy. Um, but I still think this is just, this is case building still. You know, I think it's it's great. Bo, Bo has some real ability in those legs of his. Um, but I, I, I don't think that James Franklin has really truly shown yet that, he's going to use that in a real, no offense to Bo, but meaningful game situation when it's not finishing things off. So, yeah, I mean, it's on film. Everybody can see it. Uh, it did come against some, some first team guys and that, and that's great. Uh, I will say, you know, like I, I don't know that we've seen a lot out of his right arm yet. And I think that's probably part of the reason why that we saw nine rushes for him personally, not the offense, nine rushes for Bo, three pass attempts. And until you see, like, as you said, Bo Provola entering games as, as a, some kind of sub package early, which I'm, 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 I, I still think we're going to at some point. Uh, and until we see him, you know, be a real viable threat with his right arm, I'm just not buying this and taking it all that seriously yet. So I, I, I think there's there's definitely let's get stuff on film. This was a good opportunity to get stuff on film, a good opportunity for James. I'm sure we'll come back this coming week and say, see, see, he's a threat. You got you got to account for him. He just wants to keep reminding opposing coordinators that you've got a you've got a game plan. He just he's obsessed with his mission of getting them to waste time on something that they're not going to use. <laughs> and I, I mean, by all means, go for it. But I feel like Brett Bielema probably saw through that. And I feel like Brett Bielema and that Illinois staff were generally pretty okay with what Bo did when he, when he was in there. The problem I have is, again, they waited. It was 30-7, to 7 and it was the fourth quarter. One could argue that it was a little bit early that they got him in there. I'm not going to argue that. But if, if you're – Thinking is Bo Prabula is a viable option to turn to. What could be a more viable time than this game against Illinois where everything on the offense isn't working? Something is just not right. I'm not asking for Bo Prabula to replace Drew Aller. I'm just saying if you wanted to show Illinois something different, if you truly were confident, and I think, Dusty, what I thought of that while the game was going on, but what kind of confirmed it for me is how often when you see uh, Drew Aller with the zone reads where theoretically the quarterback has the ability to pull it out of the running back's belly and run himself, how many times did he do that? Uh I don't know. I mean, it's probably pretty close to zero, right? Uh, he, he he ran six times in this game. His his legs did some good things, but I, I don't know that you're ever going to see defenses jumping hard at the quarterback run threat of it. And I think generally, uh, until Penn State shows, like if you let's just say you 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 pile on the running back, and Drew Aller does pull it, how far is he getting? 
You know, like how far he's not going to gash you for 30. If, if the whole defense crashes down on the ball carrier and Drew Aller has a wide open pathway, you're probably giving up six or seven on that run there. And so I think in general, you're probably, you're probably okay with that risk management. Well, I had Nick Singleton with 3.4 yards per carry, Dusty, 16 (laughs) of them on one run. So 21 yards on the other 10, which means 10 of those runs, he averaged two yards. I would have taken four or five yards from Drew Aller. And again, I just got done re-watching the first half. And I, when I watch that tape, you know, when I watch a game a second time, I watch it very differently. And that's the kind of thing I look for. And there was a specific play. Hands it to the running back. And then he follows through as if, you know, it was possible for him to pull it and run it. Right. And had he, there was this gaping hole in the Illinois defense. So it felt to me like, again, Illinois' defense was a step ahead of Penn State's offense the whole way. Other than Trey Potts' uh, halfback pass, that was the only time you felt like, you know, okay, Penn State got the better end of this. Even when they put in you know, their T formation, which seems to always work, they were first and goal at the two-yard line. You know, who had the bet there that uh, they weren't going to score? Well, man, I mean, that's that's a, that's a tough uh, result for the Penn State offense and a good result for the Illinois defense down, down there like that. Um, and I think I, it, it's just how, how different would this game have felt without the five turnovers? You know, like I, I think – uh, Penn State's coaching staff didn't really have to make any emergency adjustments because they've got the the team that can complement each other and that can win. And and I do feel like this offense sometimes, if the if the defense is uncharacteristic, I do think the offense has uh, the possibility and the potential to carry the defense in a game if they, if they ever need to do that. But um, I, I don't think the coaching staff really ever felt uncomfortable even though they weren't having a lot of success that's how I felt and I it, it didn't seem like they really went hard back to the drawing board uh in this one to try to make any changes now you know I I do like in general what Mike Yersich you know the the number of options that he has you saw so many situations where running back uh shifts into the slot or shifts out wide tight end shifts into the slot or, you know, from the slot inside, you know, they, they've got these versatile pieces that pose threats everywhere. But again, I will keep coming back to the fact that it just doesn't mean a whole lot if you can't own the point of attack, you know? And I think Illinois, like this was what was, was the first game that I know I was circling. I know we talked about it before of like, you know, looking at Penn state's vulnerabilities. And, and I was ever always looking at it from the sense of, you know, the interior of Penn State's defensive line. I wasn't thinking about Illinois being that tough matchup on the other side. But the the trench battle, you know, like Michigan has grown men uh, at every position on, on both the offensive and defensive lines. You know, I don't know that this game really makes you come out of it thinking for sure that Michigan, uh, even though they're, they're at home, is a highly winnable game. 
You know, like if, if Illinois, like this offensive line has some work to do like that, that just goes without saying, but the defensive line didn't get exposed in this one. I think you've seen uh, some reason for concern there, but when you're not winning in the trenches, uh, this is what can happen. Like the, the rhythm on offense wasn't there the entire game because there was no, uh, no continuity in, in that. Well, I'll still go by. I feel like they're the Illinois defensive coaching staff was a step ahead of Penn State's offensive I would agree. coaching staff. Yeah, I would let's, agree. Let's go to the other more positive side of the ball. Five turnovers, Dusty, and I think you hit it. They earned them. You know, yes, there was the one really bad pass that um, Abdul Carter picked off, but uh, my guy, Dominic DeLuca, he put the hit on. He forced the fumble. That ball wasn't dropped. That was forced. And Daquan Hardy, his interception, he was one-on-one. Illinois looked at that and said, we've got an advantage there. No, no, you didn't. Yeah. Yeah, and and boy, I mean, that was like a, oh, it's good to have Daquan back, right? <laughs> like that's – but that was that was just a beautiful play from start to finish for him. Right at the wide receiver's hip. And even though he did everything right, and Cam Miller can attest to this, even though he did everything right to be in position, uh, there was still an opportunity for a play to be made if it wasn't going to be Daquan Hardy. And and he was there and got his head around and got in position. I mean, that was veteran stuff right there. And, you know, a good highlight film to remind you that Daquan Hardy is probably going to play in the league for a while. Uh, that, that slot defender isn't any less valuable at the next level either. Uh, Don DeLuca... Two takeaways in two weeks for the mustachioed Mahler, um, as I just decided to start calling him now. Um, but just you know, just I, I think that was a veteran play too. Right, right hit, right time, explosive. You know, knew knew what he was doing. Um, so that was a good one too. And then I think even the Abdul Carter one, um, when you speed up the the quarterback, which is what they did early. Like when you rewatch this game, you see Luke Altmaier, he looks like a pretty confident kid on, on the first couple drives, doesn't he? Then the hits start coming. Then the pressure starts coming. And that's the real test is, is how you respond to that for 60 minutes. I wouldn't say Drew Eller passed with flying colors, but he did a lot better with that pressure than Luke Altmaier did. Probably helps that he's got an NFL arm, but either way, I think Penn State earned that Abdul Carter one because a, you know, Carter did a good job dropping into coverage. He's a freak of nature, all that, all that stuff. But I think also it was just one of the rewards from hitting Luke Altmaier and, and making him feel uncomfortable. And even when any, somebody wasn't there, he was speeding up his progressions and feeling like he had to hurry to do everything he did. And I think the fact that he felt like he had to do that and, and read quick and deliver it quick was a product of all that. So even though it was a bad throw, I thought Penn State defense earned that one. Well, I'm going to give that one to Manny Diaz because you've got to – Abdul Carter was on the line of scrimmage. If you're the opposing quarterback, you're right. you got to look at that and say, "Uh uh-oh, he's coming at me. He then drops back. And by the way, a cornerback, Johnny Dixon, was the one who came in on that play and applied pressure. That's what Manny Diaz's defense does. All right, Dusty, that is it for quarter two. Stick around. A lot more to go starting with quarter three.
Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. He's Dusty. I'm Jim. We're talking Penn State, Illinois, 30-13, first road game. Dusty, can I make a suggestion for our show? I would love it if you did. Could we reserve at least just a little bit of time every week for Salty Jim? Yeah. I, why are you even asking me that? Okay. You, let's do the quick Salty Jim segment, if you yeah. don't mind. All yes. Right? Two salty items. One, the officials with these personal fouls. Don't call any of them. Th- that, to me, is lost control because once you call the first one, you've got to call the next one, no matter what. And if, and you try to even it up. So if you call the first one on team a, there's no way team B is going to get away with anything. Right. And from what I saw, there was what three of them, I think two on Penn state, one on Illinois, none of them were needed. Nothing with the personal foul was flagrant. Nothing was something you hadn't seen a hundred times. Now, maybe there was something that they didn't capture on TV, but they capture everything. So I can't believe there was something that was missed, Dusty. Just yeah. don't. Just don't. Step in. Give a warning. Tell them next time. That's it. You're going to get the flag. That's good officiating. Immediately throwing the flag, not good officiating. Okay? Yeah. They were, they were throwing flags for personal fouls as if – as if there was like a lot of hostility and a lot of after whistle stuff. They were, they were, they were calling the game as if they were trying to prevent a disaster. They were trying to prevent escalation, but there wasn't really any escalation to prevent from what I saw, you know, and, and what, what on earth do you have to say, you know, Devon Ellis, what do you have to say to get a flag? That's not for a physical act. Like I, I have got to hear what that was. 
Um, you ever see, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever watched it, but there's like that aristocrats joke or whatever that has like the most vulgar punchline ever. <laughs> like that's what, that's what I think of. It's like he had to say words that weren't even invented yet to get called 15 yards for that. And, and you know, I, I don't care what the word is. You could use any of them. Don't care. Don't care. Yeah. So I, I think that was very poorly handled by the officials. And what you're doing is you're putting yourself into deciding how a game goes. That's I, I think you don't want that. I think that head official really likes the way he looks and sounds on a microphone. <laughs> don't like, didn't you think that? I, I think he really thought highly of himself. Like he cannot wait to go back and watch the replay and, and hear him call those fouls. Like he, he just, I, I think this was like a little bit of, hero complex center of the show type, type thing, because that, that was a quick whistle. And like, yeah, I think, um, I mean, they're all meaning 15 yards is never not meaningful, but the, the, the one with Keandre Lambert Smith, I mean, yeah, like there was a little bit of a shove. Like if you saw like the other kid was the instigator and I know that happens a lot, but the other kid was shoving, Keandre Lambert Smith in a way that towards where the pile was to get him to go down to the ground after the whistle. So Keandre Lambert Smith shoved him back. Sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta accept that fact. Like I really feel like that's as far as it was going. The flag came in two seconds later and the, the other kid was making the case to throw the flag. And it was almost like, yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. I think, I think I will. That's the way that it looked, but that was, that was ridiculous too. And that had, you know, at that juncture of the game, you know, to go from third and two to third and 17, like that's, that's impacting the game with a really, really quick whistle. Like you, it's not even let them play. It's just like, let, let them be aggressive 21 year olds. Exactly. Dusty. Okay. So salty Jim was justified there, right? I agree. I, I, I agree with that. Yes. Okay. Now here's the second salty Jim and this, I'm just going to plain all out say, I got a bug up my butt about this rule change where they don't stop the clock after a first down until there's two minutes left, where the only effect of that is less college football. Dusty, I love college football. I want more of it, not less, okay? And this game, this noon start game, right? Noon start. Didn't start at noon. It's 10 after 12, and I'm still watching those idiots on the pregame show. I don't want to see them, Dusty. I want to see football. So they took 10 minutes of football away from me so I could watch their pregame show. That's not yeah. what I want as a fan. When did this scam begin? Because I've, I, I've only ever known it to be this way, that the, the game listing is not when the kickoff occurs. It is every single time. And I, I know like if you got a 3.30 kick and there's television, keep in mind the first game, went long or went into overtime. Like I, I, I can see the the flexibility in that. And I think you got to give TV stations play, pay a lot of money for that. But 12 o'clock is the first game of the day. There's no television schedule to fall behind or whatever. It's like the doctor's office when you're, you have the first appointment, he's an hour late. Uh, you know, you owe me at that point, but it, it has been this way forever. 12 o'clock means 1209 or 1212 or whatever, whatever the case might be. Who first allowed this? This is just free uh, airtime and advertising time for the network. And that amount of time that they wait, that they waited to kick the ball off is probably more than the amount of time that they saved 
uh, with the new rule change. Yes. In fact, I was afraid something was wrong when it was going past 12 o'clock and I'm still seeing this pregame show. Did I have on the wrong channel, Dusty? And I'm ready to panic. And that's what it is. So once more, Salty Jim, justified, yes or no? Uh, justified, yes. I mean, you, you've had a bug up your butt from the beginning on this. Um, and I think, I think to your credit, Salty Jim isn't always the most rational. Salty Jim and Rational Jim, there's not, if you put those two circles of your character together, there's not a ton of overlap, but there's some. And in this case, there, there was definitely overlap. Okay, I, I will take that, Dusty. I, I'm two for two on my saltiness. So. Yes. It is, it is a t- take an extra blood pressure pill kind of day with all that sodium floating around. Hey, t- trust me, I already take too many pills every day, Dusty. I don't, I, I, I don't need any more of them. All right, let's get back to the actual game, Dusty, and the defense. This is just, to me, more confirmation of just how many players, real players they have on this defense, and they have the exact right guy pulling the strings, okay? He puts them in a position to succeed, and it seems now, season to season, game to game, we are finding out there are more players out there. So, yes, we all know uh, Chop Robinson and Abdul Carter and uh, Kalen King. However, now we got to start learning that Cam Miller's maybe a player. How about K.J. Winston? There are some other people there. And uh, even I'll take Kazai Izzard making a couple plays, Dusty. He made a difference on that defense. Yeah, and and the guys who came back from from injury, presumably Izzard and and Daquan Hardy, they they their presence was important, you know. And I, I think Penn State is so deep um, here, and and Hardy is another one that that gets mentioned. I mean, James Franklin uh, and Terry Smith have been trying to tell us about Cam Miller and their feelings about him uh, from the jump, and you know, th- I, I feel like as as we look back and storm and storm duck. Uh, transfer from North Carolina to Penn State. I feel like he did it with the assumption that that number three cornerback job was his, and that number three cornerback job, you know, gets a lot of run in this defense and gets a lot of opportunity. And so I, I feel like the fact that Cam Miller was so high up there and outperformed Storm Duck is why he ended up leaving. So Cam Miller, I, th- I think, definitely showed himself to be a player. Um, I said it in the notes I sent to you. Even even the touchdown that he gave up. Uh, late in that fourth quarter, I, he he just didn't make a play on the ball, but he was where he needed to be the entire time. So I feel I felt like that was more encouraged, more encouraging than anything. Um, so yeah, I, I think KJ Winston. I feel like you're starting, you're seeing him take steps forward. Uh, you're seeing him like you know not not just blending into the defense, but starting to stand out in the defense. And I, I was kind of waiting for a safety to do that. Uh, Keaton Ellis stood out when he got absolutely shaken out of his shoes uh, by I, I forget I forget with the Illinois wide receiver, but he it was one of those like in one mixtape type ju- jukes where he went flying in the wrong direction. Not to pick on him, but you're right. I mean the the depth of, of playmakers, the fact that there was always a, a body coming at an, a, a ridiculous amount of speed closing on Luke Altmaier every throw he made. And 
a lot of times it was those ends doing what they do. But a lot of times it was a corner coming from there, a safety coming from there. You have Abdul Carter lining up right over the ball. And you know that Abdul Carter, you know, when he lines up right over the ball, he could be 25 yards downfield in two and a half seconds, or he could be at Luke Altmaier's throat in two and a half seconds. You know, from, from that, the, the danger that he presents there and the, the, you know, just how athletic he is. So I, I think I'm just taking a long way to say, like, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of players on this defense, Jim. <laughs> there really are and this was the first time this year i shouldn't put it that way delaware it was delaware so i'm bypassing it i'm going back to the west virginia game but they put the fear of god into this quarterback they affected how he played they got into his head and he was rushing passes he was making mistakes and that was directly attributable to the pressure they were getting from this defense, Dusty. And this is the way they played at the end of the year. And now I'm probably taking a long way of saying what you said right from the beginning, which is this defense, it can win games for you. Yeah. And, and I, I you know, I, I think if, if it weren't for that, that dominant streak by the defense, and by the way, Luke Altmaier, was he not, listed by a lot of people as like the primary threat in this game. Like, and, and no disrespect, like he did what he did in the first two weeks and that can't be taken from him, but he looks like uh, he's about 145 pounds. He looks like if, if Stetson Bennett never got a scholarship and forgot how to throw, that's Luke Altmaier. (laughs) I mean, I, I think, I think he's got some danger there, but uh, Penn state made it look like it was not that way at all. And I think, they're going to be able to make some better quarterbacks down the road kind of forget how to play the position too. Like that, 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 that pressure really takes its toll over the course of a game. And I think it did in this one too. And Drew Aller may not have played his best game, but he didn't throw four interceptions. Correct. And there's something to be said for that dusty, especially for a young quarterback who was under a lot of pressure. All right, Dusty, that's it for quarter three. Let's get to quarter number four, where we're going to do a quick look ahead to Iowa also. Stay tuned. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. 
TrustStateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show, quarter number four. Dusty, I'm Jim. Dusty, kind of let's wrap up the game here a bit. One of the things that we didn't get to, special teams. Did we find a field goal kicker? (sighs) I mean, he made made a straightforward 45-yarder look easy. And I I think that's a step in the right direction. You know, he he had a little bit of the the Jake Pinnegar, I'm going to kick it three feet off the ground from 52 yards. Uh, and it kicked it right into Johnny Newton. Uh, of course, it went into Johnny Newton's hand. <laughs> of course, it did. Like he just he his hand was up. It's not like he was six feet off the ground. That that was a low low kick, but uh, made the ones he should have made. And I think that's a that that's a step. Uh, I was really curious, you know, if there would be any division in in responsibility, short versus long, like they had with uh, Jordan Stout and, and Pinnaker in the past. Because I think Sanders Ahedek is is a smoother, more explosive kicker. That's that was that's the way that I, I see it anyway. Uh, so I was curious to see if there would be a split there. No split. Uh, it's, it seems like they're they're going with Falcons and, until he proves otherwise. And I think that means they're going to be going with him again next week because he didn't do he didn't do anything to lose the job. It's not in anybody's interest to keep going back and forth with field goal kickers. So when you have that issue pop up in week one, it really is kind of a conundrum for the coaching staff. You know, you don't want to go quick hook. You don't want to make the, the you don't want to make Falcons feel like, you know, he can lose the job as quickly as he gained it either. So it looks like they've just settled in on, on him and now it's his job to lose. So whether that means he's the field goal kicker or not, I, I, I still, you know, when he lines up, I still don't get a warm, fuzzy feeling for some reason. Uh, I, there's still not a ton of belief, I, I guess, but maybe that's just me. Well, you know, I think we're now conditioned to with the kickers, but obviously he made the chip shots. He made the one at a tough angle. And when he made the 45 yarder, that's the one that convinced me. You yeah, know? it was a good kick. It was a good kick. Yes. It, it was, it was, it was probably good from pretty close to 50, you know, that, and, 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 and no doubter. Yes. And, and man, I think Penn state fans needed that. And they were like, um, Joel Klatt, he's a little dramatic. Like, I don't know if you watched him talk about Drew Aller this week and the words that, that he used, like it was, it was so like melodramatic. Uh, and he gets that way sometimes during games, but these guys, like he made a good point about how Penn state fans are viewing everything, viewing every single thing about whether it's in the lens of, are they a championship team or not? Will this fly against Michigan? Can we beat Michigan? Can we beat Ohio State? Can we get to the play? Like, all, I think everybody's watching this team with that thought in mind. And I don't know how people are really seeing the the place kicker competition. You know, if if you're asking, you know, a tough angle, forty three yarder to win the game, and Alex Falcons is going out there, I personally uh, think it's a 50-50 proposition. But uh, maybe other fans feel a little bit more confident now. After the first game, I'll take 50-50, Dusty. Yeah, <laughs> and that's right. I, I do want to get to the announcers shortly, but one other special teams note, because you and I both had this exactly the same on our notes, which was Caden Saunders returning punts. My first take on it is 
He has confidently caught the ball every time. And to me, that's the biggest thing. I'm conditioned. I worry about it whenever I see a someone back to catch punts. I'm beginning to get to that point where it's Jahan Dotson. I just know he's going to catch the ball. And that more than anything else is what I want to see. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I had to write that that down. And I know he didn't break a big one. He had a, he had a, a nice uh, return, probably about 15 yards or so that, that he earned in this one. But I, I feel the same way about, you know, just feeling like he's automatic uh, making the catch. And even when there's traffic around, uh, he, he's got a good belief and confidence, as, as you said, about that. I feel like anecdotally from week one to week three, his decision making as far as when to let it go over his head, when to fair catch, when he's got a little bit of room, I feel like that has improved a bit too. And I think um, he's got the, the skill set to be a really good return guy. And the investment is being made as a redshirt freshman right now. Like think about that. Like it's a position you don't think much of. You know, this this offseason when when Penn State is, is kind of going wholesale, having to replace everything in special teams, you think about punt return some. But think about him locking this down now, you know, and then for three or four years, having this guy who's going to keep growing into the job. So that part of it, I think, is cool. The other part I think that is cool is that Caden Saunders has a really important, meaningful job, even though he hasn't quite carved out that role on offense yet. And I think it's just a good example for for Penn State of of identify like finding the skill set and knowing somewhere somehow they're going to use it. So with Caden Saunders, like I have no doubt in a year or two he can be an impact wide receiver. But until then, I, I think I, I don't know if I'm going to guarantee he breaks a big one or anything. But uh, he looks like he's going to be really good in that punt return job, walking that line between secure and explosive. And I think he does that good. He does that well. And he did have two um, receptions, so he's starting to contribute there. Um, back to the announcers real quick. Two things on Gus Johnson. One, and I didn't think about it during the game, but I saw it on social media. That wasn't typical Gus Johnson enthusiasm. And yeah. if you rewatch it, did, did you take note of that? I, I don't know. Like I don't really pay attention to the announcers that much. You know, like I, and I, I get when people get have, you know, like opinions of it. But I, I would say I, I, you know, looking back on it, I would say I noticed that. Um, I I think it might be the, it's the first Gus Johnson game I've heard this year. So I, don't, I couldn't say whether that fits a trend as if Fox said to him, like, Gus, we love you, but you do need to like take it down just a little bit. Um, I'm watching this game, like, and I feel like a lot of fans are the same way. Like, I don't need the guy who's explaining the action to me to get me revved up. You know, if, if, if a cool play happens, whether you're yelling over it or slow playing it or whatever, like it doesn't make a difference to me. So I, I, I guess I've never really subscribed to his whole mode of excitement. Well, I think it had more to do with the 11 a.m. Central Time start. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe Gus wasn't the most excited he got. And he is he must feel contractually obligated for any uh, Penn State game, he has to talk about how Chop Robinson got his name, and he goes into pork chop. Yeah, and, and I, I love, I love when announcers are telling that story like it's the first time. <laughs> yes, you know, like so in 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 writing, like there's there's such a thing as like first reference, second reference, third reference in in a story. 
So if you're considering going into this game, I, I feel like you have to assume it's the second reference. It's at least the second time that, that people have heard the story. So, and you can tell me, you know, got get, give me one sentence on the nickname, but don't launch into, you know, like edge of your seat, you know, get this, you know, like most of the people watching this know this already. Probably you in Illinois people know it. And you know what, though? Every time I hear it, I still like it. I like Pork Chop as a nickname. I just keep thinking if I had that nickname, they would never drop the pork part of it. Oh, yeah. They they would drop Chop for sure. You'd you'd be Pork Galante (laughs) without a doubt. (laughs) I can live with Pork Chop. I just have this picture in my head. Remember the old Seinfeld episode where George wants to be nicknamed T-Bone? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jim wants to be nicknamed Pork Chop. Yes, Jim loves those pork chops. All right, Dusty, let's let's turn our attention to Iowa, do the quick look ahead. All of a sudden, this becomes, I think, a little bit more interesting game going forward. And I'm not sure if I'm justified in feeling that way or if it's just this Illinois game kind of burst that bubble for me that this Penn State team is going to be a straight line to that playoff uh, position. And now I'm thinking, well, I'm not so sure about this. Yeah, I I don't know how. I mean, I I think on the other side, it's like Penn State can go on the road against, you know, I think Illinois is a tricky opponent because they've got, uh, they've got a defense and they've got, you know, a little bit of gadgetry, you know, with the running quarterback. Like, I think they're a, a tricky opponent. Uh, so to go on the road and play way less than your A game in any of the three phases and to still win and cover the point spread. I mean, I, I, I still feel like, you know, that's ultimately kind of a good thing. You're waiting for Penn State to, pl- to put four whole quarters together, and you're waiting for, for them to really be dominant on both sides of the ball. Uh, I get that, but you also need to be able to win without your fastball sometimes. And this, through three weeks, I feel like this team has shown that they can win without their fastball uh, better than maybe any other James Franklin team. Uh, so now they're going to have to win with their fastball at some point in time. I don't think I was the opponent to do that, but um, you can look, I guess you can look at it in, in two different ways. They haven't shown the, the full scale dominance yet. They've shown some chinks in the arm. They've shown some of the same old, same old, uh, but at the same time they played subpar and beat Illinois 30 to 13. So I think there's still like a silver lining there. There is you can, that you could play a down game and still win reasonably comfortably now, this Iowa team, what are we to think of that? I think, you, you know, we went into Illinois with a certain picture in our head. I'm not sure we got that from Illinois. But what's the picture you have of Iowa coming into this game? I mean, I just I just don't think Iowa's going to score a lot of points. You know, like, I, I, and I, I know the, the, the defense, they, they do what they do, and they've got the, the Iowa brand of defense, and they've got some real takeaway artists. They, they always do. Uh, but ultimately playing on Beaver stadiums turf, um, against the defense that, that is going to be, fe- they're going to be feeling themselves this week after those five takeaways, they're going to be, hu- they're going to be chomping at the bit to do that again. And until Brian Ferentz or the, that Iowa offense really presents something of note, uh, I don't know that you can really set, you know, call them a real threat. You know, there's there through three games. You know, one was against Utah State, one was against Western Michigan. 
they're still 119th in total offense, 114th in pass efficiency, 121st in passing offense. It still is a lot of the same Iowa tendencies, even with Cade McNamara uh, pulling the strings at quarterback. I think Penn State's defense is going to be by far the best unit on the field. And I wouldn't predict five takeaways or anything, but I think life's going to be pretty miserable for that Iowa passing game. I'm with you on that, Dusty. Iowa is still Iowa. And this team, I think they'll take this Illinois game and learn some lessons from it. I think you'll see again that Drew Aller that we saw the first couple games. All right, Dusty, you can't get out of here without making a prediction. Uh, I was surprised that the early point spread at 14 and a half. I'll be curious to see where that goes, but I still like a Penn State cover. I'm picking it again. 28-10 is what I've got. Uh, first day of the week, so I might, I might, ch- I might change that by a point or two, but I got them covering. I, I think so too, Dusty. I'll be curious to see what happens to that spread too, if there will be a reaction uh, to this Illinois game. All right, that is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.